Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together this evening and turn to the Old Testament book of the Song of Solomon. If you would, the Song of Solomon, I remind you that this is a book about the Lord Jesus Christ and his love for his church. And it's a beautiful book. It's one of those uh, untouched books, those books that have been avoided. I confess for many years I avoided it myself, but it's become very precious to me. And uh, this is a story. It's a love song. It's called Solomon's Song, the Song of Solomon. He is the author of it. Of course, we believe led by the Spirit of God. So really, God is the author. And it might look at first glance to be a poem, a collection of letters and thoughts of the love of a king, uh, the love of a shepherd for his little bride. But in all actuality, it is the love of the king, Jesus for the love of his bride, which is the church. And uh, this is not a foreign concept in scripture. It's a consistent pattern and illustration all through the pages of God's word. And really you could say this, that this is what life is all about, coming to understand that the creator of the universe loves us. It's amazing. Now that's hard for some people to comprehend. I spoke with two different people uh, this past weekend. Uh, who had very difficult upbringings of uh, uh, childhoods uh, of abuse and uh, the absence of a father in many ways. And because of that, uh, because of that absence, because of that kind of a uh, upbringing, they did not know and they did not comprehend and didn't think that it was possible for them to even know the love of God, that God could even love them. And they were struggling with such a, 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 a thought that God, the creator of the world, would love them. And maybe tonight that's the same place you are in. It's the same position that you're in that because you did not experience maybe much love as a child or as a, in an upbringing, you have a difficult time imagining that God loves you. But this is the, this is the theme of the, of scriptures that the creator God loves us who let's be honest, are not particularly deserving of it. One verse we'll come back to later on this evening is the little verse found in John that says, one of the letters of John, that we love him. It's an amazing thought that we love God. We love him because he first loved us. And uh, we look at this text tonight, Song of Solomon chapter 5. And this is a beautiful portion. If you remember the last time we looked at this uh, chapter, uh, the Christian had fallen asleep. And I remind you that many believers are sleeping today. They're sleeping. And uh, we find in this text that the little bride, the picture of the church had fallen asleep. And as she said, she admitted to it in our text, I sleep. And the Song of Solomon chapter 5 and verse 2, I sleep, but my heart waketh. That kind of half awake and half sleep understanding. She she was out of it, but she could hear at the same time. She knew that her beloved, her Savior, her Lord was trying to talk to her, but she couldn't really be bothered. She was too comfortable. And the majority of Western, especially Western Christians, are so comfortable and at ease in Zion. You could say sleeping in Babylon, settled on their lees that they know that God is trying to say something and they believe that Christ is speaking, but they're so comfortable. And especially now that things have begun to get back to normal, so comfortable that we cannot hear the Lord. 
Can't really be bothered. Scriptures say that he tried. The Lord Jesus was speaking and then he even tried to open the door and, and then he, then he left. What a sad day when the Lord withdraws himself from us because of our disinterest and because of our casual response to him. What a very sad day. Well, we come to that part of the passage where she's searching. She goes out late at night into the streets of the city to find her Lord. By the way, if tonight you feel as if the presence of God has left you, then there's only one thing to do. Get up and go find him. Seek him with all of your heart. Because believe me, you need his presence now more than ever. She goes along the way, finds the watchmen. They give her a bit of abuse. Yeah, they, they smite her. They wound her. And she says in verse 8, it's the last verse we looked at the last time of Song of Solomon chapter 5. I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem. She leaves the watchman, goes on to the daughters of Jerusalem. If ye find my beloved, that ye tell him that I am sick of love. I am lovesick. And now we come to the, this very special portion. I love this portion of Song of Solomon chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. Listen to the way that these, these people respond. This bride feels distant from her Lord. She feels like there's some separation between her and Jesus. And she says, look, I'm, I'm, I'm missing him. I'm, I'm lovesick for my Lord, for my Savior. And if you find him, if you, if you draw near to him yourself, if you experience intimacy in prayer, then please tell him that I need him. You ever felt like that? You ever, when I have felt distant from the Lord, I've tried to find people who I thought were close to him. And I'd say, please pray for me. That I can find my way back and find my way back to my walk with the Lord. And listen to their response. I love this. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? That thou dost so charge us. The response is this. Well, what makes your beloved Better than anybody else. What makes Jesus so special? Why is Jesus Christ different than any other religious leader? Uh, I hope you're prepared to answer that question. I hope tonight that if somebody were to come to you and say, what makes Jesus better than Muhammad? Or what makes Jesus better than Buddha? Or what makes Jesus better than Confucius? Or this or that or another? Are you ready to, to answer that question? What is thy beloved more than another beloved? Answer that question. Are you prepared? There is something, I love this, there is something in her behavior, even though she was disconnected, that made people ask, what makes her Lord so special? Now, would you look here for a second? Is there anything in your behavior, anything in the way that you live your life, anything in the way that you speak, anything in the way that you conduct yourself that would cause other people tonight to say, I wonder what's, who is it that he knows that he's serving? Does your behavior, your speech, does it cause folks to ask about your Lord? And if so, are you prepared to answer? Now, how do we answer this question? 
How do we answer the question, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? How do we answer the question, what makes Jesus better than anybody else? Well, I first of all, I think you got to know him. I believe that many believers who profess themselves to be Christians don't really know Jesus. Oh, they might know a few facts about him. He died when he was 33 years old, born in Bethlehem in a manger, died on a cross, had 12 disciples, had long hair, blue eyes. That's what people think, right? They think they know about him, but they don't really know him. Do you know him? You cannot describe someone unless you have looked upon them. You can't answer the question, what makes your beloved more than another beloved if you don't actually, if he isn't actually your beloved? Can I ask you this evening, have you seen Jesus? Well, I don't mean have you seen him come walking to you in, in, in the middle of the night in a, in a white robe with a glow around him. I'm not saying that at all, but have you seen him in the eye, with the eye of faith? Have you seen him with the mind's eye in your heart? Do you know who he is, what he looks like, the beauty of his character? Do you know him? Do you know his voice? My sheep heareth my voice, right? Do you know his voice? Do you know his heartbeat? I know a lot of people who call themselves Christians that do not seem to know the heart of Christ. They prove it by some of the things they say. It's interesting that Christ told his disciples before he ascended up to heaven in Acts chapter 1. It was a verse that we looked at much last week. But in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, he told his disciples to wait there in Jerusalem until, until they would be endued with power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And watch this, ye shall be witnesses. Now, would you look here for a second? We use the terminology oftentimes that we're going to go out witnessing. We're going, we're going to go out testifying. But you've got to be a witness before you can witness, before you can testify. And I think with a lot of us, many of us are not yet witnesses of him. We haven't experienced his presence. We don't know him for who he is. I wonder tonight, do you know him? I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. This is a good, good text to sort of show us where a lot of folks are now and where folks have been in the past and where I've been before and, and uh, struggle sometimes. Luke 24, look at it with me. This is right after Jesus died. Two disciples are on the road to Emmaus, traveling, talking about the things, the events of, the, of, of that time, talking about the death of their Savior. And while they're walking, the Bible says in verse 15, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Can you imagine that? Look here for a second. Can you imagine walking on a road? You and you and somebody else talking about how you miss your Lord. Kind of like this little bride. I, I miss him. He's gone. Heart's heavy, burdened, sad, grieved. And then here comes Jesus. The Bible says he drew near to them and he went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Their eyes were kept. Their eyes were restrained. Talks to them about, you know, what's, what's wrong with you? Why are you so sad? And they said, don't you know about the things that have happened? He said, what things? They begin to talk. He begins to speak to them. And in verse number 28, uh, verse 27, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went. And he made as though he was going to go further. 
as if he would have gone further. But they constrained him saying, abide with us for it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. So he is with them. He's there, but they don't know it. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. And look at the next four words. And they knew him. Their eyes were opened. Now, do you know it's possible to walk with Jesus and not know it? It's possible for him to be beneath the tent and other people to know it and you not know it. It's possible because your eyes are closed. And I believe there are many believers today like this. Eyes closed and they don't really know him. They might know his word. They've heard, they read in scriptures. They know, they know a lot about him, know what he said, but they don't really know Christ. Their eyes were holding. Jesus, I remind you in his prayer in John 17 said, this is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. Do you know him? And not to just know about him, but to know him. I love 1 John 5 and verse number 20. Listen to this. This is a serious thing. Do you know, the Song of Solomon is not just a love letter. It's not just a nice idea that this bride knows her beloved. You know, they say, what is thy beloved more than any other beloved? And she goes off on this tangent, 10 things to describe the beauty of her beloved. But you know, this is more than just about knowing Jesus. It's more than just a nice idea. It is crucial that you know him. Not just a, not just a love story. You got to know him. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 20. And if a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? That's chapter 4, verse number 20. And in chapter 5, verse number 20, and we know the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true. We are in him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Do you know him? In 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica and he explains that it is imperative that you know God. And if you don't know God, and 2 Thessalonians 1, listen to this. He's writing, writing to these people, speaking about the end times. By the way, if you, if you haven't read the two letters of the, uh, to the Thessalonians, it'd be a good time to read them. It'd be a good time to read them. But he says in verse number four, verse number three, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. That's a good testimony to have in a church that our love is abounding toward one another so that we ourselves glory in glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven 
with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking, watch this, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. I'll stop there. I'm just saying that it's it's a must that you know him. It's not just a good idea. It's not just about a love story that she knew her, her Lord. She knew her Savior and loved him. But it's a must. You've got to know him. If you don't know him, the Bible says on that day, destruction is coming for those that don't know him. And so if we're ever going to answer the question that is found in Song of Solomon chapter 5, what is thy beloved more than another beloved? you got to know him. And consequently, if you know him, you will love him. There has never been a human being yet that knew Jesus and didn't love him. To really know him. Now, there have been plenty of people who thought they knew him. And stood from a distance, but didn't really know him. The more you know him, the more you will love him. It is inevitable. I love what Peter writes. He says, unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. Valuable, honorable. Can I ask you tonight, is Jesus precious to you? What does that even mean, precious? Some people have precious things. Diamond ring or a necklace or jewels or a car. Jesus is valuable. He's precious. That verse again. Well, here we go. If, if we're going to be able to answer how he's so much better, we got to know him and then consequently we'll, we'll love him. But I remind you that we only love him because he first loved us. And that makes us love him even more to think that he would ever love us. We were, we were, he's like a diamond and we're like a lump of clay. Uh, 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 a lump of dung from the dung heap, like Paul said. And he loved us. Amazing. I love the story in Luke chapter 7 of the woman who comes in to wash the feet of Jesus. She pours the alabaster box of ointment on his feet. Do you remember? Something that was worth a, a year's wage. They say the average person makes between 25,000, 26,000, and 30,000 pounds a year. And can you imagine taking 30,000 pounds and, and pouring it out on the ground. That's what she did. One year's wage. Some of you won't pour 26 pence on the ground, let alone 26,000 pounds. Think about that. You think if you put 20 pounds in a collection, it's going to be, maybe it's going to be a wage. The woman put her whole year's wage on Christ because she realized the value of Jesus was far greater than the value of anything that she owned because she loved him. And the scriptures say in Luke chapter 7 and verse number 47, speaking of this love, Jesus said, wherefore I say unto you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. Remember what the question they asked Simon, he gave that that little little parable, there were a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence, the other owed 50, and when when they had nothing to pay, he frankly, freely forgave them both. Tell me, which one of them will love him the most? The one that owed him the most. And she knew that she was a sinner. She knew what she owed him. And because she knew what he did and and come to understand 
His love for her, she loved him. I think our problem is that we don't know. We don't know him. We don't know his love for us and we don't know his heart for us and therefore we don't really love him like we should. It's a command to love him. Did you know that? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul and strength. Jesus said in Matthew 10, and there have been a lot of people who've scoffed at this, didn't really like it, but Matthew 10 and verse 37, Jesus said, he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross, meaning if you love yourself more than him, you're not worthy of him. Do you love him? Do you love him that much? Are you overwhelmed with love for Jesus? Are you like drowning in love for Jesus? You ever been, you ever been overwhelmed in love for something or someone? You ever been, you know, so in love with someone, googly eyed, but so in love, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't wake up without thinking about that person. And, uh, every, everything you saw was through the glasses of that person. And, and, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's nauseating, isn't it? When you see young people like that and, and that kind of a, uh, uh, love for one another. Have you loved Jesus like that? Have you loved him more than that? Galatians chapter 5, Paul writes to the church at Galatia, churches in Galatia, and he says in Galatians 5 and verse number 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Do you know what Jesus is looking for? Would you look here for a second? Jesus isn't looking for how much money you put in the collection bag. He isn't looking for how many burgers you flip for the homeless on a Friday or a Saturday. He isn't looking. He isn't looking for all that you can do. I'll tell you what he's looking for. He's looking for those who love him so much who are dare, then they therefore are daring in their faith. That's like the whole, it's that picture of the knight in shining armor. He loves that princess so much that he's willing to fight a dragon. Well, the Lord Jesus is looking for people who love him so much, who are willing to stand up against all the nonsense of the world, willing to stand up against all the vast crowds of the world. They're so in love with Jesus, they don't care if they die alone. They love Jesus. That's what he's looking for. Again, in Ephesians 6 and verse number 24, grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Do you love him in sincerity? Do you genuinely and sincerely love Jesus? And if you know him, and if you love him, then you're going to be able in our text to answer like this little bride did. What is thy beloved more than any other beloved? And boy, she gets going on verse number 10. Look at it. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among 10,000. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are as bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of water washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers. His lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are like gold rings set 
with the barrel, his belly as bright as ivory overlaid with sapphires, his legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. And she says, finally, yea, he is altogether lovely. Amen. Now, can I just say, I guarantee you that as soon as she did that, those women regretted asking her what was her beloved more than any other beloved. Now, you and I ought to be prepared to answer like that. You and I ought to be so ready to speak of our Savior that when somebody says, well, tell me, what makes Christianity better than any other religion? You ought to be so ready, overflowing, not with facts about Christianity, but about facts of, of your love for Jesus and his love for you. You ought to be so overwhelming that when that door, when somebody dares unlock that door and open it, they re would regret it for the rest of their lives because you spew it all on them. Now, I love this because she gets going and going and going and going and almost as if in exasperation, she says, he, he's just altogether lovely. I can't explain to you how great he is. Now, I want people to look at me and listen to me and say, he really does love Jesus. I want people to be able to watch my life and say, that's real. For him, it's, I mean, he, he may be mad, but at least he's sincere. He's sincere. He sincerely believes it. He's, it's real to him. Is it real to you? We could go through these things and, and, and try to, try to explain them all. I don't think we need to do that. I think the whole purpose of, of these 10 things is, is to say this, this bride knew her beloved and loved her beloved. She knew him and loved him. Some commentators have likened this little passage of scripture like that which has been Daniel chapter 7 explaining the ancient of days in verse number 9. I beheld the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool and his throne was like a fiery flame and his wheels was burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Now it's interesting in this account in Daniel, you see him on the throne of judgment and his hair is white and fires coming out and it's a fearful scene. That's different here. Because she fears no judgment. Her view of him is different because she fears no judgment. And do you know that before I was saved, I, there was, there was a bit of fear, fearfulness in me in regards to God. I was afraid of judgment day. I was fearful of standing before Jesus on judgment day because I re read in the book of, book of uh, Revelation chapter one that the Lord Jesus Christ was, was there in verse number 13 in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the son of man clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about uh, the paps with a golden girdle, his head and his hairs were white like wool, and as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. That used to frighten me to death, thinking he could see right through me. And his feet like unto fine brass, and if they had, as if they'd been burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Until you no longer see him as judge and you see him as beloved Savior. Oh, there's still a reverence, believe me. 
There's still a reverence and there should forever be a reverence. But oh, to be able to speak of Jesus with sincerity, to be able to speak of him as if I really did love him. The psalmist wrote, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. We sang it a moment ago, those beautiful words. Lord, it is my chief complaint that my love is weak and faint. But yet I love thee and adore. Oh, for grace to love thee more. Do you love him? Are you able to set out like this? His mouth is most sweet. Literally his words, his voice is most sweet. He is altogether lovely. And she wrapped it up with the confidence. This is my beloved and my friend. What is thy beloved more than another? Boy, she went for it. This is my beloved and my friend. I wonder this evening, can you speak of him like that? If you can't, you are missing out on the heart and life and essence of true Christianity. You don't have the, sub the, real, the substance of the matter. True Christianity is not knowing a bunch of facts. Facts are good. Theology is good. Leonard Ravenhill said one time, he said, you can't love theology. You can't love a bunch of facts. You can only love a savior, a living savior. I believe we ought to have our theology right. And I believe we ought to have the facts right. Those, the, the fact of God's word is not, not relative, as it were. It's not subjective. It's fact. It's true. It's timeless. And therefore it is relative. Some people want to make it and twist it and change it. But you can only love Jesus personally. Do you love him? Do you love him? If I were to come to you tonight after the meeting and say, tell me, what is your beloved more than anybody else's? What could you say? That is what people need to see and hear. That's what they need to see and hear. They need to see that here is a normal human being that has been changed by the love of Jesus Christ. And they are, they've begun to reciprocate that love. That's what people need to see. I guarantee, and the, the amazing thing is, I love this. After she does that, look at the first verse of chapter six. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? You see what happens? If, if you get this right, this right, you won't have to try to hogtie somebody into believing. No, no, they'll say, I'm coming with you. I want to get a dose of what you got. I, I want what you have. I want to meet that. I want to meet him that you're talking about. I want to meet him. Take me to him, please. I mean, they started out saying, well, what's your beloved more than any other beloved? And by the end of her spiel, they said, I'm coming with you. That's, that's what you need. I'm telling you, there are no theological postulates that will win a soul. There aren't any well-coined evangelistic 
and apologetic equations that will ever win a soul. What people need to see and hear is that you have been changed by the love of a very special Savior. And you love him back more than anything. You love him more than your life. People recognize that. You know that? People recognize whether Jesus is just a tag on, like an ornament you put on a Christmas tree. People notice that. They notice if you just like to tag him on when it's convenient or whether your love for him has totally revolutionized the way you live. You're not, you're living a totally different life than you used to live. You don't love yourself. You don't love this world. You're not living for the things of this world. You don't care what anybody else thinks. And if people think you're crazy, it don't really matter anymore because you love Jesus. I think we're too worried about what other people think. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. That will make a difference. May God help us. Let's pray. And we'll sing our final hymn. Father in heaven, tonight we confess unto thee we've only just begun to understand thy love. But Lord, help us to sense it and know it more. Help us to experience it more, Lord. And help us to love thee more. Forgive us as we've sung that our love is weak and faint. But we do love thee, Lord. We do love thee, but give us grace to love thee more. More love to thee, O Christ, more love to thee. Help us, I pray. I pray for those who've never met our Lord. Help us to be ready. Help us to be ready to say, this is my beloved. This is my friend. Help us to be able to say with truth and sincerity that my beloved is altogether lovely. In him is no spot or wrinkle or blemish. Help us, I pray. Use us to this end. And I pray that something would begin in this church and in my life that may spark that revival we've prayed and talked about, Lord. Give us a greater love for thee. In Jesus' name we pray.